Good morning, everyone. Good morning. My name's Thomas. If you don't know me, and uh, my wonderful wife, Mary, done a great job there leading us uh, this morning. So we're going to open up the Bible now, and uh, we are continuing our series through the book of Nehemiah. And we called uh, the series that we've been doing From Rubble to Restoration. And Nehemiah is a man who is mightily used by God to rebuild uh, the, the ruins in Jerusalem. And he shared the vision of the rebuild. He got people on board. He gathered and he journeyed uh, through this project in the midst of some really uh, tough opposition. And uh, prayer, a response in prayer, was a, a was prayer was a first response for him in the midst of these oppositions, and uh, so the walls are rebuilt, the temples rebuilt, and if you if you were here last time we spoke, we looked at Nehemiah seven, and we looked at looked at that the project was complete, that the walls were complete, but the work actually was only just beginning. It was only beginning. He appointed watchmen, he appointed uh, worshippers, and uh, this wide open space that wasn't uh, designed to, to be empty, the exiles were uh, invited back in, an invitation for them to return. We're going to pick up in Nehemiah 8, and we're going to read the first 12 verses. It should come up on the screen as well, and hopefully that is big enough. Is that big enough at the back? Yes, we've got the thumbs up, it's brilliant. And if you've got a Bible, uh, you can turn to that, or your phone as well. There's various apps you can use. And I'm going to pray before we read God's Word. Lord, thank you, you are here. Thank you for your word. May it be a lamp unto our feet this morning. Would you uh, speak into the very depths of who we are? Would you just do something beautiful this morning, Lord, through uh, unpacking your living word? You know each of our situations. You know the things that are hidden in our hearts. You know what troubles us. You know what excites us. And you are so interested in each and every one of us. For anyone here who feels forgotten, Lord, would you speak that ever so louder this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, Nehemiah 8. Let's do it. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him, on his right, stood Matthiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, 
and Masaiah. And on the left were Pediah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. I'm glad I got this passage now. <laughs> Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Masaiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Pileah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Amen. Amen. So just to give you a, a bit of context, uh, we've given you a bit of a potted history in terms of Nehemiah. Ezra was a Jewish scribe and priest. He was a teacher of the Word of God. And the book of Ezra was written in tandem with the book of Nehemiah, which also, Ezra also chronicles the rebuilding of Jerusalem following the Israelite return uh, from captivity. In, in Babylon. He would be reading, when it speaks about reading the book of the law, the first five books of the Bible. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Ezra loved the Word of God. He loved studying it, interpreting it, and sharing it with the people. So we're going to unpack this passage a little bit. And I've called this talk, Rubble uh, Rebuilds what have I called it? I've not got it down there. I'm trying to remember. Rubble, rebuilds, returns, and renewal. I missed one out. And the word renewal in Greek is ananew, which means to be renovated by an inward reformation. Renovated by an inward reformation. We see something of a renewal happening here with these people uh, as they open, as they hear God's word. Something happens. Something happens. They've went from rubble to, re to a rebuild of Jerusalem to returning, and something has changed. There's three questions in the mix that I want to share with us this morning as a church family, uh, and I want to explore it in, in relation to how we read the Bible and how we walk with Jesus. First one is, what do I expect? And secondly, what does it mean for me? And then finally, what am I going to do about it? So that's where we're going this morning. So the first point, the first question, what do I expect? 
Now, I've had the amazing privilege of growing up as part of a church family. Uh, my dad was a Baptist minister, and at school I would constantly get the song, Son of a Preacher Man, sung to me by my friends or anybody in the school whenever I walked past, and I would just click along and let it pass. But uh, it was a loving community. And it, but it also had its funny moments, and I just want to share a couple of funny moments with you. I remember I was the boy who put the numbers up on the wall, you know, the hymn numbers. So I'd go into the room, I'd open the drawer, I'd get the numbers out. And uh, my, I mean, at that point in the 90s, ni late 90s, if, if I had a mastermind subject, it would be the mission praise. I knew exactly what numbers corresponded to which hymns. I was just on it. I was like, oh, 702 again? How great they are, really? dad but anyway we used to also have old pipe heaters i don't know if any of you remember them at the bottom uh, as you sat down at church it was like and that would heat the room and i ended up melting one of my shoes one sunday morning on these pipe heaters and i had to actually take the shoe off it nearly melted right through to the sock i remember that one sunday evening that was as well also we had a song and many of us will know this song whose side are you leaning on uh, leaning on the Lord's side. And the chorus would go, Eileen, Eileen, Eileen. And our lollipop lady was called Eileen. So I had great fun in the middle of those of that line just saying, the lollipop lady, the lollipop. Mum would be like, yeah, shush, shush. <laughs> but the ultimate fun moment for me was a Christmas present I got circa 1997, 96 maybe. And it was a talking watch. It was a talking watch and it was loud. So whenever it got near to 12 o'clock and my dad was speaking that little bit later, I'd press the button and it would go, it's 12.01 p.m., really loud. And if I set an alarm, it would say it's 12.01 p.m. And then a cockerel would go, cockerel, cockerel. I had maybe one opportunity of using that watch on a Sunday and then it was gone, it was gone. I didn't want it to go past 12 at all. Italian football was on on Channel 4, you see. I needed to get home for that. We see in this passage a spiritual renewal of the people taking place. There was a thirst for the Word of God. Just imagine from daybreak to noon. Picture that. From daybreak to noon, reading God's Word, bringing God's Word. Just imagine that in terms of Inverness Castle. Imagine people gathered at Inverness Castle, bringing God's word from daybreak to noon. Parking charges would be through the roof. But what a picture that would be. In this passage, there was no talking watch needed. The people were hungry. So let's look at the passage in terms of the people's expectancy. Verse 1 uh, says, They had settled, but they all came together. They'd settled in their towns, but all the people came together. They got settled, but they kept meeting together. And that's a wee word for, for us, I'm sure, for some of us, I'm sure. Settling can mean that our hearts and feet get planted and stuck in rhythms that seem comfy and convenient, but perhaps aren't building and molding us more like Jesus. These people were settled. They were back seven months on, but they got together. They got together. The importance of getting together, of community, coming together to hear God's word. And verse 1, they told Ezra, they basically told Ezra to bring out the book of the law of Moses. 
They're like, Ezra, get the word out. We're hungry. Get the book out. I love that. Ezra, we want to meet, we want to hear what God has to say. I want to ask us, when do we get the word out through the week? When do we open God's word? When rubbish is thrown our way through the week, when we struggle, do we go to God's word? When we have questions or when we're feeling in doubt, do we turn to God's word? Do we turn to the book? When do we learn scriptures that sustain us for the various seasons we're all in? As I was preparing this passage, I just felt the love of the memory verse. The love of just remembering God's word. And I feel as a culture and as a church, we need to get back to remembering verses of the Bible. And remembering, you know, when we're feeling this, I'm going to call on the name of the Lord. I'm going to remember verses in the Bible that are going to sustain me that are going to carry me through the seasons, that are going to remind me that God is with me in the valley, that he's with me in the mountaintop. I got really stirred about that. And also, not, not to focus and feed too much on the word of man or anecdotes or nice stories, but to look and see, what does God say? What does God say? What would that look like for each of us this week? What would need to increase? What would our rhythms look like? to feed on God's word, to eat it up, to have it to turn to in the ups and downs of life. Our first response. In verse 4, we also read they built a platform and they stood up when Ezra opened the word. So not only was Ezra going to share, but they were going to, it was going to be raised up for him to share, to be seen so that everybody could see and hear. And they'll stand. That picture, what a picture. They'll stand. This is a holy moment. This is a holy moment. A return to reverence and to awe and to expectation. So the people are, are back in this place. A place that they knew well. Seven months in, newly rebuilt. And they have everything they want. Wealth is there as well. We can read in chapter 7, verse 71 to 72, all uh, the wealth that was, uh, that was gathered at that point. But perhaps these people just realize in that moment, there's more. There's more. This isn't it. Here we are back in the place of meeting together for us after being exiled to a degree, locked down. And we have this moment of returning to normality. We're rebuilding our community as a church. Are we in that place of hunger this morning? Maybe some of us are, maybe some of us aren't. But as I look at this passage, I see a spiritual hunger and an expectation moving in God's people that the earthly things just don't cut it. The house, the pay rise, the job, the relationship, the stuff, the rebuilt life and re-entering into the old in a new season won't cut it. These people wanted more. They wanted more. And a couple of things that I think can impact our expectations, which I just want to share this morning and encourage us to just open our hearts afresh to God's Spirit because He's here and He wants to mend and He wants to minister to us. So a couple of things to do with expectation. We need to watch our posture. 
We need to watch our posture. For some of us, perhaps uh, our posture and positioning is affecting our, our lives lived with Christ. We're maybe closed off and just letting in what we can control. We have a, a tap in our bathroom just now that just drips non-stop. Can't get it to stop dripping, no matter how somebody could maybe, anybody could help us with that? We'll chat to you after the service. Drip, drip, drip. It's like, uh, it's similar perhaps to how some of us are approaching our, our posture with Jesus and that we're happy with the drip and everything else is, is closed. It's closed tight, but we'll just take a little drip. That'll do us. God's asking, inviting us to be vessels and not valves that we switch on and off at our convenience. And that means surrender. That means sacrifice. That means cost. That means for all of us showing face, being real. It means a working in us to work through us, living for the audience of one. And I just feel incredibly stirred that we need to crack that in this space. Openness, vulnerability. And that's how we'll be vessels in this city. That's how we'll win Inverness for Jesus. When we allow him to work in and through us. So can I encourage us to open that tap in worship? Can I encourage us to open that tap in prayer? We have a great invitation from Dorcas and Lorna to go into a space and just give a chunk of time to devote ourselves in prayer. And not to be happy with the drip, to praise him, to cry to him, to be real with him, to have our hearts abandoned, whatever a season we are in, whatever type of week we have come from, we posture ourselves in openness and transparency because Jesus is the answer. He is the answer. Secondly, our priorities. Our priorities, that, that this space isn't just a, a tick box exercise. This isn't the good deed. This isn't the make myself feel better space. A, a half empty room doesn't mean a, a half present God, just as a full room doesn't mean a fully present God. To start at expectancy, we must create real space out with, to spend time with Jesus, to walk with Jesus, to invest in our relationship with Jesus. As I was reflecting, the disciples spent three or four years with Jesus on earth. And, you know, if they spent 12 hours a day, 12 hours sleep is quite generous, but I worked out a wee calculation. Three or four years, 12 hours a day with Jesus is roughly about 17,520 hours. And they still didn't get it. We have this one hour a week. For a lot of us, we have a couple of hours through the week in life group. Three hours a week. Let's invest in the relationship. What, how are we spending time with Jesus through the week? Where do our priorities lie? Let's really invite him in. And this space serves a mighty purpose. A mighty purpose. For some of us right now, this is the team talk before we go out into war. Because right now, it feels like we're in a battlefield when we step into our Monday mornings. For some of us, it's the hospital to find healing because we feel broken 
and we need Jesus' healing balm just to, just to come into our hearts and to heal us up for the week ahead. For some of us, this is the meeting room for the next assignment. Some of us here are thinking, what's next, Lord? I'm here. Here I am. Send me. Tell me where to go. For some of us, this is the place for new beginnings, where Jesus wants to wipe the slate clean. This space is important, but it's all for preparation in the week ahead with Jesus. So practically, what does that look like in your day? Perhaps there's one or two ideas you can think of. For me, the Bible in one year is brilliant. The Bible in one year is brilliant. If you've not got that app, I actually bought the physical book as well, if you prefer to read. It's quite chunky, but uh, that's a great structure for your day, uh, just to spend in God's Word and uh, reflect and use it uh, for the day ahead. There's maybe some other practical ideas you have. And then finally, past as well, uh, in terms of expectation. Some of us, we aren't expecting because we went there once, and it didn't work out how we thought. Or we got hurt. Jesus sees you this morning. He knows this morning. And in our emptiness and in our reluctance, I feel like he just, as I was preparing, he just want, he loves your tenacity in showing up and keeping going in spite of that. And I just want to encourage us to not give up, to keep moving forward, that he's with you in the, the mystery and the questions and the pain. And we worship our redemptive God. And that season doesn't define you. And there's an invitation to just come and be. And when the time is right to go and be, that new orders will come. So an expectant people, expectancy. What does, uh, what does it look like for you to be expectant, for us to be expectant? Secondly, the question, what does it mean for me? What does it mean for me? Something has shifted with me in the last few months, and I want to uh, use this space to share it with you. A wee confession time. Uh, I've become a bit of a TV quiz fan. Is there any TV quiz fans here? No. Oh, dear. I was wondering. Yes. Uh, I used to hate watching TV quizzes when I was younger, but I'm well into them now. So Pointless is on. I'm totally hooked. Our House of Games. Has anyone seen House of Games? I love House of Games. Our boys think Richard Osman is just on every TV show now. But uh, I love watching TV, show, uh, TV quiz shows, and I'm shouting out the answers. Our boys are humming out the theme tunes. Humming out? Are humming the theme tunes of the, the shows as well. I also love like uh, quizzes on the BBC website, any kind of quizzes that uh, work out what type of personality you are or what type of leader you are. And uh, in all those moments, I have one question. And everyone that does those type of quizzes have one question. What does it mean for me? What does it mean for me? This, if I work out what type of leader, what does it mean for me? Our culture has all sorts of tools and mechanisms in place to, to help us or to let us know what goes on out there. What does that mean for me? To give me the info that plays into my story and my situation. How does that affect, shape, change what goes on in my life? But when we're reading God's Word, that's the most important tool for us to answer that question. What does it mean for me? What does it mean for me? We see the very same when Ezra is speaking, when he opens up God's word, the people in verse 8, they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving meaning so that the people understand what was being read. 
They gave meaning. So on either side of Ezra was that list of names that I struggled with uh, but managed to get through. They were the Levites. Their job was to explain the meaning of the scriptures as Ezra read them, to answer that question, what does it mean for me? Not only did the people listen reverently and attentively because its meaning was made clear, but they understood it. They understood how the Lord wanted them to live. The Holy Spirit opened the people's minds to understand the word of God so that renewal took place. We are to engage with God's word. The understanding brought the people to weeping in this passage. What a picture. What a picture. To realize their sinful ways in verse 9. And we'll look at, in a couple of weeks' time, Nehemiah 9, which I'll unpack that in a bit more. You see, our understanding, when we come to that place of understanding, when we receive God's word, when his spirit is at work, it might shake us up a wee bit. It might make us feel uncomfortable. It might expose areas of our lives uh, of sin that are not honoring or whole or life-giving to Jesus. And we realize the errors of our ways. And that is good. Digging up woods and planting seeds. That's my, I, I love that we line just in terms of what God's Spirit does through His Word. Digging up weeds and planting seeds. The Word and the Spirit. I, a famous wee vineyard quote is, The Word without the Spirit we dry up. The Spirit without the Word we blow up. The Word and the Spirit, we grow up. I quite like that. We grow up. We're to be a people that grow with Christ. We need, we need God's Word. We need to look at Scripture in these moments and ask God, what does that mean for me? How does that speak into my situation? What is God revealing? What weeds is He pulling out? What seeds is He planting? What does He want to encourage me with here? What does He want to convict me of here? What have I to lay down? What have I to surrender? The people here, they were hit with the weight of their sin. And then they encountered great joy. Then they worshipped. And then they went. And it feeds into the last question. What am I going to do about it? Eugene Peterson in the book Christ Plays in 10,000 Places, he says this, Life in the church is dangerous. Much of the danger comes from becoming so costly familiar with the way of faith that we've set apart or above our early status of what we sometimes think of as a mere Christian. We become so diligent in learning about and working for Jesus that the relationship with Jesus erodes. The constant danger, and this has been going on in a long time in church, is that we take on a role, a religious role, that gradually obliterates the life of the soul. But our participation in the life of the church does not bring us into an advanced level of gospel living. Faith is life at risk. Love is life at risk. Worship is life at risk. Familiarity with God and the church and congregation can dull awareness of the stakes involved so that we forget to put in protection. I want to ask us, church, what has been dulled? Where have we forgotten what is at stake? Are we playing it too safe? Where, where is our hearts pointed? Where is our minds? Where is our hunger for the things of God? Where is our desire to live for Him? Where is the gospel, where is the gospel sharing as we leave here? 
What have we forgotten? What are we living for? In this passage, Nehemiah sent instructions to go and eat and drink and to feed those in need. There was a, a response. And also later on in verse 14 and 15, uh, there's a response and instruction uh, in the passage as well. We didn't read that bit. But it's to bring back branches and build themselves temporary shelters to remember those times of God's protection. A reminder that we are to go. There is an instruction that we are blessed to be a blessing. Where are we to go? What are we to do? What is God asking of us? What have we written down but kept on the to-do list? I'm awful bad for that. Especially around the house. There's always one thing that I just don't want to do. And I'll get rid of the other things. And I'll write a new list and keep that one thing and put it on the new list and then write other things. What's the thing that God is stirring you to do that you keep just transferring onto another list? Where to go? Where to go? But we do that out of our relationship with Jesus. Time spent with him. It bubbles up and he bubbles up inside of us. Just to close and then we'll worship together. A bishop tells of visiting a parish church in California and finding a stirring red and orange banner on the wall. Come, Holy Spirit, hallelujah. It declared in words printed under a picture of a fire burning. The bishop was also interested in the sign directly underneath the banner, which read fire extinguisher. For renewal to happen, we are to ditch the fire extinguisher. We're to say yes to all that God wants to do in and through us. We're to embrace the mess. We're to allow him into our messy lives, every single part. And not get the fire extinguisher. To relinquish control, because God is good. He wants to move this morning. Are we expectant? What does it mean for me? What am I going to do about it?